Good evening and welcome to the Shia tonight, Thursday evening of Pasha Shreftim. And what I'm going to do is, because last week we had very poor reception or disruption to our to the Shia, so I'm going to go through some of those questions uh, and answers briefly. Um, before that, I want to go through the first point then our question on our list, which is more like a viewer to filler rather than then a halacha question. So someone asked me this week. So someone asked me that he was uh, he was davening with Kavana on uh, last Shabbos, and he noticed that on Rosh Shabbos Rosh Chodesh we were saying lemechilas chayit lislichas ovin, and he was asking. Is that the kind of thing that we talk about on Shabbos? Generally, on Shabbos, we don't say Tachnon. And so he was, he was concerned about that. Before answering the question, Call from bear in mind, I'm sure this is a familiar point, that there are 12 expressions here. That's eight so far. That's 10. Is 12. And in Nusach Svar, they add in Al-Ibayor, in Al-Ilipia, they add also Lachaporas Posha. So there is a remez here for the 12 months of the year. So that's, uh, that's probably why we don't want to skip one on Shabbos. But um, what do you have beneath is here a quote from the Alter Rebbe Shukhan Aruch um, in the Halochus of Benchi. And in Benchi, we do say, so then the Yerushalmi asks this question, how do we say this kind of thing on Shabbos? So here we have the Alter is quoting, the, this, is what the, this is based on the Yerushalmi, don't worry about etc. because because we on benching we say provide us etc. And we don't worry about on Shabbos, we shouldn't be asking for our needs. And that's why we miss out. Well, one of the reasons why we miss out the middle part of the Shemayin Esra. And the answer is, says Yerushalmi, that is the text. That's the set text. And therefore, you just keep the same text of benching the whole, yeah, of the whole week. You'd say the same thing on Shabbos. And so the same thing is um, in relation to, well, let's finish off the, which is first to the Arachamons, etc. The things which are said on a daily basis, whenever you bench, you bench every day, or that's a, a second thing. But if you, on, on in your regular benching, that's the regular text. Therefore, that becomes the Teufus Bracha, that's the standard text. And therefore, don't worry about Shadas Racha. So, all right, so here is slightly different. We're talking about Michilas Chetas Lichas Ovein. It happened to be, actually, I was looking at this question. I was, I got up in the morning and started, as I was saying, so I was thinking of this question, and I noticed in Shachar, we also say, um, and we 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 talk about you know in the, the, that bracha we also talk about being protected from sin. So 
So this is a standard text, and therefore we say it because of Teufus Brockens Kachi. Now, to go back to last week, so number one, we had um, someone asked about, um, about a, a Jewish doctor visiting a house, well, a, a, a female client, female patient at night. And um, so I, I had said it is an issue of Yehud. And the fact that a person doesn't want to ruin his reputation and his Leimora uh, Leumnose isn't, isn't uh, adequate to take away the Easter of Yehud. The other thing which was left unclear, perhaps from last week's disturbance, about a heated floor in a mikvah. And what I'd said is that, that the facility has a heated floor. I don't see a problem with that. What I, do say, I, say, I, what I do see a problem is in the mikvah which I use, there happen to be areas where there are hot spots to consciously go on Shabbos to their warmer area, to warm your feet, which are wet. Indeed, I think is a problem because you're doing it specifically to warm your to warm yourself and to warm and, and therefore it comes to the Indian of um, washing with warm water on Shabbos, which 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 we're restricted from doing. Um, right. The other point which I was left a little bit unclear was about Marke, and that will get back to at point eleven on today's agenda. Let's go on then to the next point on our list. And that is a young man who works as a, um, well, he works on night shift. He starts at 4 a.m. And so he gets up at 2 a.m., which means he has to go to sleep, let's say, whatever, 6 p.m., 8 p.m., and it's still light. So he, what he does, he does mind if, when he gets up at 2, 2 a.m., that's, that's, that wasn't his question. His question was, he goes to sleep, what we'd call Shnias Keva, but he sleeps for the night. And he goes to sleep at um, during the day. So does one say Hamapil? We know that if you just have a nap during the day, you don't need to say Hamapil. Here is the question, but this is his this is his proper sleep. Does he have to say the Brocha Hamapil? Now, in the Gomorrah, it doesn't say clearly. It just says Hanichnas Lishon. But in the Rishonim, they do have the words about Belaylo. I'm still unconvinced because it could be that he added the word Belaylo to say, we don't mean a nap, we mean that this is your proper sleep, your Shinas Keva. Um, so it's a little bit um, open. The Sefer Betzel HaChochma from Rav Betzel Stern, the Heman Shteterov, so he addresses Mamish this question of a night shift worker for Hamapil, and he takes the view that it's got to do with We know that if you get up in the morning after dawn and you didn't put on um, shoes or you didn't change your clothes or you didn't put on a belt and you still say the bracha of Kaltorki or Malbe Shadumim or Oize Yisrael and the reason for that is because So he wants to say a similar idea with Hamapil. It's not totally identical, he concedes, because um, we do only say Hamapil when you're actually going to sleep. So it's a, on the other hand, to say that Hamapil is like a birchas before you eat an apple, you make a bracha, before you go to sleep, make a bracha to enjoy your sleep. That, he says, is not possible to say that's the pshat. 
because, for example, if you go into a nice warm room or you go into a nice cooled room, you go into a nice Egrish Amachai, you don't make a brocha on that. Or you, even if you're going to go into a nice Gishmaka Mikveh, you don't make a brocha because it's not ingested. It doesn't go into your body. So therefore, to say that you should make a brocha on enjoying sleep, it, it, he, he finds it... Um, so he says it's it's a al and yet it's somehow limited to the time when you're actually doing this um, going to sleep. The poil he says it's limited to minhogishilom, and therefore if you're sleeping during the going to sleep during the day, which is not minhogishilom, you should not be saying Hamatu with a, you know the full brach with Hashem's name. I just want to add another point, which maybe he touches on, and that is the following. What happens if you did not daven Maidiv and it's now after dawn? It's not yet sunrise, but it's after dawn. So then you do say, you have to say, maybe you have to say, so here we have the halacha in Shukhanorach, I think, where is it? In Simon. Um, if you're saying Shema after dawn, after Amud HaShachar, before sunrise, but if you're an Onus, then you, let's say, why are you Onus? Because you were a Shikir before, or you're a Choyle, whatever it may be. So then you do say Shema, and you're Yoytse Shema after Allah HaShachar, before sunrise. And that's relevant especially in the northern countries in the, in the summer, it's very easy to kind of overstep till after midnight, which is really dawn. And you'll say, you'll say, um, you'll daven ma'idev after chatzos. But then, you know what? You're going to have a, have a problem to say hashkivein. Because after dawn, before sunrise, it says, lo yoyma hashkiveinu. Once it's ready, Allah uh, mud hashacha, einus man On that basis, since after Allah is Einuzman Shkivo, then you should not be saying Hamapil with the Tashkivain Lashal. Now I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit because I've been asked this question. All right, so let's just finish off. This fellow who is doing night shift will tell him, don't say Hashkivain with a full bracha. Don't sorry, don't say Hamapil with a full bracha because it's not Minhagishlail. Now, I've been asked this question several times about Takahamapil. If, let's say, in northern regions and it's summer, and you didn't say you didn't say Hamapil, uh, you didn't go to sleep until two o'clock in the morning. And by then it's already after dawn. Do you say Hamapil after, after dawn? And the point which I've said is that in the Altarebbe Siddha, by Sfia Soima, he says, from Yudches Iyor until Yudzain Tammuz. So then dawn is so early, it's already after midnight. And therefore, after midnight, you cannot count Sfia Soima. And after midnight, you sh- and by a fast, you're not allowed to eat. So you should also be Tammuz, you wouldn't be allowed to eat after midnight because midnight is dawn. Why did the Altadeba not say, after midnight, you can't say I'm apple? Which is a very common, a common thing. So, my 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 tendency was to say, although halacha says that after dawn is not as much chiva, 
But for most of the world, most of the population in that region, they're still sleeping for a few hours after this dawn at Chatzois. So it is Zman Shkiva L'chola O'ilam. So although the halacha after dawn is not called Zman Shkiva, but colloquially it is Zman Shkiva. So I was relying on that. So I'm kind of, that's what I'm saying, shoot myself in the foot, but okay. Meanwhile, for the night shift fellow, um, I'm afraid he won't be able to say I'm uphill uh, with a bracha other than Shabbos, Friday night, which I probably uh, sleep to normal time. Okay, let's move on to the next point. And that is, someone asked me this past Shabbos that his wife had bought from supermarket some lettuce growing in a, in a, uh, some kind of bowl with water. So it grew just on water. So here's the old question. What is the bracha for hydroponically grown produce? So this is an old machloik is going back already probably 130 years ago because <clears throat> it's discussing the Seychemed. And he talks about grain which grows in, uh, in, in, in planters which are not, not attached to the ground. It talks about whether you can be yoitsa mitzvah matzah with grain which is not growing from the soil. So the bottom line is, I mean, here I've got here on the, on the screen um, the different the, the two two schools of thought. The poil is that because it's a sophic, do you go according to the species, and therefore it's very priadoma? Do you go according to the specimen, the article which you have in your hand, and therefore it's did not grow from the ground? It's from so this is the question. If you said hadomo, you yoitsa, you should avoid a sophic brochus, and therefore you, you should say shahakal on it. If you said hadomo, you do not have to repeat uh, a brocha. Right. Let's now go on to the next question. So here is a person who is hard of hearing and also getting on a little bit. And so he uh, uses a hearing aid. He prefers not to make Havdola himself for whatever reason. For, and so he prefers to listen to Havdola. So there's a young man who's making Havdola, and the elder man is listening, but he's listening through a hearing aid. So now they're both fine of Erlicha Lomdashiyidin, and they're asking the question Am I Yoitsa Havdola by listening through a hearing aid? This is the question. So we know that the Rebbe has emphasized this point many, many times. And Rebbe Shlomo Salman Erbach, very much, who was, I think, one of the uh, most eminent poskim in the areas of, of technology, of modern technology, well, in, in his time, which was 20 years ago, whatever. And he takes the view, and the Rebbe says the same view, that a a voice heard through a microphone, through a telephone, through a radio, it's not a coil odom, it's not as if it's like a trumpet which has magnified the voice, it has taken the natural voice, changed it into electronic waves, and then reproduced brilliant, brilliant reproduction. And so on the other hand, but it, that what the, in other words, and the same is with the hearing aid, that it's, you're not, it's not amplifying the voice. It is reproducing their voice on more powerfully. And so very beautiful how Shreem Zalman's wording here. Mitzta'erani, 
I'm, I'm very I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunate. I'm, I'm very upset to have to say this, that people who are they have difficulty in hearing, and therefore they're using a microphone or telephone cotton, microphone or telephone, which basically we call a hearing aid, to they're using a system, electronic system, to, to bring the sound closer to their ears, that they're not Yoitsa. Not Yoitsa Shoifer, not Yoitsa Megillah, etc. This is quoted in the Piskit Shuvas, and he says the same thing for Havdola. Now, then he says an interesting suggestion. There's an interesting suggestion. Either he makes Havdola himself, which is okay. This I like. Um, that the, the elderly man is listening to Abdullah with his hearing aid and all, and the younger fellow is making a goffin. <coughs> he makes those brachas himself. He doesn't have to be good. So. Then it comes to the Birchas Amabdil, he'll say word for word. So Reuben is making Abdullah with a cup of wine in his hand. Shimon, the elder one, is standing next to him, and he'll word, they say the words Abdullah together. Where's the cup? The cup is in the other fellow's hand. He doesn't have to drink from it. He doesn't say how my baby are often. So here you're Yoitsa. And you can you can say the Brocham I know usually we don't do this, yeah. Usually when we listen to Havdola, we listen to the whole Brocha. But it is legitimate to say your own Brocha along with the one making Havdola. Now take a look. Here we have from the Rishima Sayoiman, the Rebbe's um, uh, memoirs of the Friedrich Rebbe saying, the Rebbe in Shmuel saying, the Rebbe Rashab had an interesting minute when it came to Havdalah. He would listen to someone else most of the time. I think just Eric, I'm not seeing him keep it, he made it himself. But generally he, he was listening to Havdalah from someone else. He would just, he would, if it, the fellow made Havdalah on wine, he'd say just the Psukim Kine Kel Shosi. If the fellow was making Havdalah on beer, then he also said the Habrocha Havdalah. So the Rebbe Rashab was noyig sometimes to say the Brocha Hamavdil word for word with the one who's making Abdullah. So you have you have backing there. And what's the difference between wine or Abdullah on wine and wine Abdullah on beer? I'm just speculating now. And that is that wine, you will see in Hilchasukha, the kind of there's a shtikl kavias. Perhaps because there's more kavias, it's more um, focus with wine. Therefore, he's yotz to the Brocha. Other drinks, including beer, perhaps is not so much a focus, doesn't get, create such a focus, and therefore he's not so focused. Therefore, he said the Brock himself. Be that as it may, that's another discussion why he made this distinction. But the idea of the elderly man saying the Brock along with uh, the one who's making Abdullah, that's perfectly fine. And um, indeed, the Mogan of Rome in Simon Kuf. I think it's called Sadiq Gimel. At any rate, Magnav Ram does talk about this idea that when other people are listening to a bracha, if they are worried that they don't understand because it's being said in Hebrew, or because they're worried they're not going to be able to focus, so he says, uh, let them say word for word. I think this is in the, in the context of benching. Um, yes, Kuf is in benching. Say word for word with the Mavorech, because it's difficult to focus. 
Vechein bekiddush v'havdolah. So also by Kiddush Vavdolah, you can be, you can listen. Sorry, in, in, instead of listening, say it word for word. And this way you're Yoytze without any questions. So the hard of hearing person will say the words. And yeah. now what do they do about Shreifer? No simple solution. And possibly though, there is a difference between, I've never been there, Baruch Hashem, but possibly in but the hard of hearing, there may be a difference between hearing speech, words, and hearing just sound. But uh, they would have to listen to have um, to want to be Yotsa Shoifer, they'd have to listen to the Shoifer without a hearing aid. And that's what Rabbi Zalman is saying very clearly over here. So let's move on. Okay, so being that we are in the, towards the end of a year of Shemitah, so what happens if a person forgot to make a Prusbal? So the question was, a person who's a Yereshamayim, and he has not made a prusbul. Now, the question is, it's good that we're discussing it now. Once it's past the Rosh Hashanah, it's going to be more of an issue, because that's when uh, the full Shemitah's Ksofim um, comes in. Whereas now, in the year of Shemitah itself, there's two aspects of Shemitah. That's in, in with money. One is whether you're allowed to charge. The other one is whether you have to, if the person offers you, whether you have to waive the debt. Um, I think in the year of Shemitah, you're not to waive the debt. You just, um, she mustn't charge. And the year after, then you're not allowed to, then you, you'd, you'd have to waive the debt and you're not allowed to charge. Okay. So meanwhile, um, let's say the question is this year or next year. And the fellow hasn't made a prosbol. Is he now, does he have to waive the debt or could he ask for the money? So here's a very interesting piece in the Alter Rebbe Shekhanoruch in Choshemishpat Hichos Halva. He says, nowadays, this is 200 years ago, it's not customary to make a prosbol. And you're probably missing a word here. Are those who explain away the not doing a prosbol. Since it was standard practice that people would collect a debt after Shemitah, and the borrower knew that the lender would come collecting his money after Shemitah, as if there had been an agreement at the moment of the loan, Almanas as if the loyve had committed, I know I have the rights to claim that the debt is waived. I'm committing not to waive the debt, not to claim my ability to have the debt waived. His, his kind of, his, uh, how do you say, his, 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 uh, He's committed not to, 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 to exercise that right. So this commitment, understood commitment of the borrower, that he will pay even though he doesn't have to pay. So you are allowed to, allowed to oblige yourself to a debt beyond what the Torah obliges you. He hasn't, in other words, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a concept called masna masha kosovotaya. 
to say that the Torah gives me uh, gives me a certain right, and I'm saying that I shouldn't have that right, or the other way around. Here is not saying that Shemitah shouldn't work. He's saying that I will not exercise my right to a waiver, and as a result, I'm committing to pay. So that, that that's legitimate. Now, although there is that explanation, but your should make a proof. It's a not a big deal, easy to deal with, and it explains how to do it. So now here's the question. Since nowadays it's standard to make a prusbal, can you now come and say, well, this whole explanation that Adel Rebbe says, since people don't make a prusbal, it's ke'ilu hisno, but people nowadays do make a prusbal. So then, and then does Yereshamayim have the rights uh, does Eresha Maim have to waive the debt? Or can he say, oh, even though I did not make a prosbol, I can rely on the first approach. And that makes it it's harder because nowadays the prosbol is so popular. So then the khari that pulls the carpet from underneath the uh, heter in the beginning of the seal. That's the question. So I'm coming back to my um, good friend, Uri Gamson Safe, which I mentioned last, quoted last week. And he makes here an interesting difference between whether our lender is in, whether the well, lender and the borrower are in Chutzl Oretz or in Eretz Yisra. And so he brings here, um, he brings here from the Trumas Hadeshen, Rabbi Shrol Isselin, who lived about 500 years ago, who writes the following, Shmita nowadays is the Rabbonum. And the Shemitah of, Shemitah of Karka is the Rabbon. Shemitah of money is associated with the Shemitah of land. So it follows, says the Trumas Adeshen, that that only applies in regions which are nearby Israel, where Shemitah's um, Karkois kind of also is kind of in the, in the mindset. And therefore Shemitah's Ksofim applies there. But further away, since Shemitah's Karkois is irrelevant, therefore Shemitah's Sofim was also irrelevant. So here we have one Shitta saying that in the areas which are further away from Israel, countries which are further away, the concept of Shemitah's Sofim doesn't apply. So that's the Trumas Adeshin, very uh, prominent Poisik, um, which actually I have a little bit of a question on this, whether in Europe, where we've got so much food being imported from Israel, does that under does that turn change change back to say that we are like nearby because we got, got so much imports imports from Israel? Okay, that's one um, that's one avenue to differentiate between Israel and further away, that further away countries. We could rely on the Trumas Adeshen that Shmitas Ksofim does not apply. Then we have another approach, the Arocha Shulchan. The Arocha Shulchan says an interesting point. He says that the, in the how do you say, the upholding Shmitas Sofim is contingent on the Prusbal being applicable. He then says that Prusbal means you entrust your debts to the best and to collect. That best and do not, don't have the power to collect debts. So the concept of prusbal really in, in 
the part in rural in the areas, countries where the Bezdin do not have the power to collect debts, the whole Prusbul is not really genuine, not really effective. So therefore, since the Prusbul is defective, then Shemitah's Ksofim would, would, not, would not have been introduced. So that's that's the approach of the Rakhashulchan. So these are various arguments to say that if you didn't do a Prusbul, so then you have the translation says Shmuel doesn't apply in in, 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 far, in far away from Israel, and the Rochashulchan says that Prusbul doesn't apply, therefore Shmuel doesn't apply. So these are all b'diavad. Um, so Yerusha, what I answered him is actually the question was from Israel. I don't Yerusha Maim should be waiving the debt. I call Poland should not be charging the debt. Um, on the other hand, um, to say that because the concept of Prusbul uh, wasn't done, I mean I didn't. I mean, Adimon could still be uh, collecting the debt, and that's what we're seeing here. Okay, let's move on. Um, here we go. Let's see whether it's going to work. Hi, so this gate is the only area where a break in the perimeter of the property can exist. So the question is, if it's opened by someone coming in by foot during Shabbat, does that create a potential error of problem for the back of the house if anyone is carrying anything to an outdoor table okay there's that's the question so you have um so now i feel accomplished i managed to put in a video into the uh, into the uh, uh powerpoint now i have to switch yeah. it off okay good let's move on okay so i here's the question if you have a gap in your fence more than 10 amas that's called um, that's equivalent to porots bimiloi, as if you have the whole wall down. And if your whole wall is down, you're not allowed to carry your front yard. Just learned the Mishnah this morning in, in Erevin. If your front yard and the whole front wall came down, porots bimiloi, you're not allowed to carry there. So now if you have a break of 10 armors, it's as if there's no wall. So now here's the question. I've got these massive gates. Actually, I told him if it's less than 15 feet, it's not a problem, which for it was less than 50. But if it's, let's say, 20 feet, a very wide gate. So here's the question. Whilst the gates are closed, so then, all right, yeah, if you open the gates, do the gates work even whilst they're open? That's my question. And my, my argument in my rationalization is, hang on a second. If I put two poles and a wire across, yeah, problem solved. Why? It's like a wall. So Tzuras HaPesach, two poles and wire, is going to be considered like a solid wall. And I've got these massive gates, which are on, on hinges. I, I, can, I can swing them back. They were five minutes ago. They were closed. That doesn't count as a, as a wall. I find it difficult to, to, uh, to accept that. But I, I, I searched, and if anyone can find something about this, I'm you know, happy to listen. Um, but meanwhile, Ashgokha Pratis is that I'm learning Hechaz Sukkah. Wonder why. And so now learning in the back of the wall. Now in Eretz Israel, it's very, very popular. People have balconies where they have war. The balcony is enclosed with what they call trisim, these uh, shutters, kind of um, sliding, sliding panels. What would happen if somehow, and it could be here also, a lot of people have their sukkah is they've got patio doors at the back of the house, and that's one of the walls of the sukkah. So let's say that that door is crucial for your sukkah. 
In other words, it's not the, it's not the fourth wall, it's the third wall. If you open those doors completely wide, completely open, you don't have a third wall for your sucker. So does that sucker, when you open those doors, is your sucker still valid? So unfortunately, the consensus seems to be that it's not valid. And they're saying because you have no wall, um, because you rolled the, the, the door open, you know, the sliding doors away, you don't have a wall. I have found one sympathizer to my um, argument, and that's the Shut Kinyan Torah. And he says that since there is a Delas Gemura with a Mashko, the whole, there's a proper door here, it's a Doifen Gemura even when the door is open. So he's, he's, the, uh, he's the minority, but he takes the view a door is a wall even whilst it's open. But the other, but um, so according to him, we wouldn't have a problem with our, uh, you know, with our sukkah, with our um, a, a roof with the doors open. Um, but others disagree, and they're taking the view that when the doors are slid, uh, slid, uh, sli slid, um, have been slided to the side, you don't have a wall, and your sukkah is well. Okay. Nevertheless, if you, show, if you slide them back in place, okay. Now, so we're finished with the with the Yochid. We've seen that I, I don't have a source for it. I see here in the sukkah they're saying the one opinion says that the doors are a wall even when they're open. Uh, others disagree. So, and I don't know for Shabbos what. Coming back to the sukkah, um, because it is relevant. People do have this this shaila. So, um, what these piskech piskech is bringing very very interesting. That you are allowed to open and close those uh, those um, sliding doors on Chalamoyed, but he says on Yom Tov or Shabbos you wouldn't be allowed to open or close them because you're making the sukkah. Now he already preempts the question. You are allowed to open and close the roof of the sukkah, which in Yiddish is called a shlak, and uh, we call it a dach. Different parts of Europe. Um, and this part of Europe we call it the roof, and um, so you are allowed to open and close the roof of the sukkah. So why should opening and closing the walls be different to opening and closing the roof? I'm not convinced that they are right in the way they're they're passing, but there is a difference here. The roof over the schach is still like this. You have a sukkah. Not of course, it has something, an outside factor which is disqualifying it, which is the plastic roof. So you, it's a door, so you're allowed to open and close. But it's not making the, it's it's taking away a psul of the sukkah, but it's not creating the building of the sukkah as such. It's it's cashering it, but not creating the building somehow. By contrast with the sliding door, which is the wall of the sukkah, what they're saying is you are building your sukkah by closing those doors, by drawing them shut. You are building your sukkah and you're not allowed to build a sukkah on Shabbos. I'm not so convinced because the um, the argument in Simon Tofresh Chavov about opening and closing the roof is it's like the door of a house. Like close a door, I'm making a wall, I'm closing the door. Because it's on hinges, that's what the way doors are made, to open and close. Therefore, I would, I'm more inclined to say the same would be with the open and closing those, those shutters. But as you see, I'm, I'm, I am, at the moment, I'm in the minority, at least in the current uh, publications. Okay. Um, 
patio doors, Rav Ari is saying patio doors would have a lintel. Lintels do not make sukkahs. I just learned that today. Tzura sapesach is not good enough for a wall of a sukkah. You need to have panels. Right, right let's move on. Can opening roof be opened on Shabbos? Uh, as far as I understand, yes. That's a more, more because there are more is saying that um, it's, it's because it's just like opening a door. Okay, um, perhaps someone can tell me a bit more about this later. There's a question seven. Someone asked me that he has been called up as a witness in court and he's expected to, whatever function it is, he has to is on oath and he's asking, does he swear by a Tanakh or does he affirm? And I did a little bit of snooping around and I see that affirmation is accepted for people who don't want to swear. And generally, you would, would, would avoid swearing and prefer to affirm instead. Um, I just want to share with you, it's interesting, in Rambam now, we're learning Hilchus Shavuos, and there's some very, very strong words about Shavuot. Um, the Shavuot is somehow associated with a curse. Um, it has here towards the end. Um, there is the idea that a person swears and his swearing falsely is bringing a curse upon himself. There's an understanding that you're putting your faith, you're putting yourself into this, uh, into this commitment. I remember I had my, my driving instructor, uh, was a Yiddish boy, he used to keep on saying, in the middle of a year, call me after 20 minutes. Um, he would always be saying, may God be my judge or something. And, uh, and when he wanted to, you know, come, you know uh, reassure me that what he's saying is the truth. It's such a, such a language. And we don't, you know, we're careful. We're very careful about that. And the reason why, well, we see here the expression that when uh, the Abish gave the, um, said, Loisissa, the third of the Ten Commandments, do not bear Hashem's name in vain, in oath, so the whole world is shaking. Uh, you know, myself, oh, I'm, I'm confident. Uh, let's say I make an oath to be an oath of allegiance to to uh, to the country. Really? I never do anything a little bit, even you know, a little uh, tiny sliver of something which is, may not be totally full loyalty. And, you know, you, you're, you're, you have to be careful. There may be something tiny, tiny some tiny thing, but you're not, not totally true about this. And therefore, we, we, we prefer to avoid um, taking an oath because of this, the extreme severity of an oath. And, and, and we see here even that it brings upon um, punishment, not only as for, oh, false oath, not only on the, on the violator himself, can bring upon others also. It's, it's such a heavy uh, Indian, uh, Indian of, of, of swearing. So from a Yidden, um, generally, will avoid taking an oath and will choose to affirm in any other And I, I don't know what the procedure for affirmation in court, but I, I would imagine that you don't need to hold a Tanakh to do that. Um, I know that in Eretz which you become a Haver Knesset, there is something about taking an oath and Rav Waldenberg in, I think, in Hatarav has, has written extensively about that, but that wasn't the question I was asked, so I'm going to go on to the next one. 
Okay. So and it doesn't work in the Knesset. Pardon? And I said them swearing an oath in the Knesset doesn't work. I was trying, I'm sorry, I was trying to make a bad joke. Okay. Um, so here, someone asked me, what's the story about water being left overnight in, in, uh, in metal containers? So the source of the story is a Gemara, and the Gemara in Nidod Zion, and Rabshim Yachai is saying five things which are, can, can cause a person uh, harm, chas v'shalom, talking about um, garlic or onion or eggs, which have been peeled and left overnight. Then we have one who drinks water, uh, sorry, Hamasha Mashkin Mazugin, one who drinks blended drinks. Some people think of blended, they think already of a scotch already, I know. Um, one of blended drinks, uh, which have been left overnight. And the, then we have one who sp- sleeps overnight in the cemetery. And then you have, so he has a few things. It seems to be more than five things. But meanwhile, we have here that one who drinks water, mashkin mizugin shi'ovin haleyam lailo, so then that's, that's considered a danger and we avoid having drinks which are left overnight. So now this is brought, it's, there's a simon in Kufta Zayn, I think in Yeridea called Hilchus Sarkona, um, various foods, etc., which are Sarkona, but it doesn't bring this, Pichodosh there does bring this and the Alter Rebbe in Cheshemisha brings this. V'chein lo yishte mashkin mezugin, do not drink blended drinks, which have been left overnight after having been diluted with water. This is only if they were left in metal containers or cleanesser, I think, refers to clay or something. Then here's, here's the bomb. Here the Alter Rebbe throws in a brackets, and we know the brackets were in Yonah, which the Alter Rebbe was Mechadish, and doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's a well-known thing, he's wanted to review it, but it's things which he introduced, which are not so, um, well, how do you say, substantiated from earlier sources. If diluted drinks with water is an issue of being left overnight, how much more so water left overnight? For sure it's going to be a problem. So to have water left overnight in the metal container is a problem. Oh, so now until the Alter Rebbe came, you could say, Mashka Mizugin. Okay, you have every, every Yiddish house has got a Chinik. And you have a, a, a Samovar or whatever. You have a, and many of them are metal. So you have water has been left overnight. I've got little news, a little bit of news for you that the water which you take out on the tap every morning has also spent the night in the pipes. And the pipes are also made of metal, uh, copper or whatever. So it's all very well when you used to go to the well, sorry for the pun, and with the bucket and you draw water and you bring it home and a wooden bucket, whatever the buckets were made of. But uh, nowadays, all of our water is left overnight in metal. I heard that the late Rav Malo Vashalem would not drink Coke from cans because it's been <laughs> left overnight in metal. Uh, okay, 
And so we are. I mean, it's, it's, that's for sure. It's Muzugin here, left in Klimatchus. So there was in Yerushalayim, there was someone called Rabdovid Shapira, a brilliant Goan. Um, he, he, he wrote a sefer called B'nai Tzion. One of his, I'm not going to go into it now, but he has about the Kavatarich, about the, the dateline. He's got a, uh, such a novel uh, solution to the, uh, where the Jewish date, the halacha dateline is. So he's a brilliant man, and he, uh, I'm not sure which year he passed away, but he, he, he corresponds with the Rebbe a little bit in the early years. And he asked this question, he, um, well, how do we deal with the Alter Rebbe? He says, they have a problem with, with Maim Shalom, you know, water left overnight in metal. Um, he tries to make some corrections, whatever. And the Rebbe writes to him, I don't know whether we need to go through all the various excuses which have been given. And the clearest answer is, we have a rule that if there's something which is granted that Chazal says is dangerous, but it's sanded, people all over are using it. Then we're going to say Hashem protects the fools. And the Tzimach Tzedek says, which the Rebbe refers to as Tzimach Tzedek, even those who know that the Gomorrah says that it's dangerous, they can also rely on the Shoyme Psoim Hashem, that Hashem protects the fools, and therefore they can also join the fools and enjoy, enjoy that part of life. Um, and so there you go, says, since, since it's an Inus Guli, after all, we're talking here about something which is more a uh, spiritual, perhaps, uh, issue. So we say that since Doshu Borabim, Botala Inyan Lagamri, since and the Rebbe seems to be saying that the whole thing has become obsolete. Since Doshu Borabim, you've got millions of people around the world who are drinking water which is left overnight in clay matches, and they, it looks like the whole the whole Indian has has the whole danger has become obsolete. And therefore, Pshita, that Tamil Chachim could also rely on this. And he says, look at the Tzimach Tzedek over there, um, that even the Tamil Chochim can rely on the Shem Psalm Hashem once it's been applied. Let's come back to the, some of the questions which you have put in the chat. Um, so, so I've been told the following. Thank you. You used to have to take an oath if you want, and, or if you wanted to, you have to explain to the judge, judge that you had a religious objection to an oath. It changes a number of years ago, and you can simply affirm. Thank you. Um, they're asking about the bris mila in the midbar. Okay, we have to think about that separately. Let's move on. Point nine. So here, a young lady has become a balast shuva, and um, but she has a tattoo on her arm or whatever. Is there a chiyuv? Hamashpia asked me whether there's a chiyuv for her, is there an obligation to remove the tattoo? So interestingly, the, this question I mentioned before, the Betzel HaChochmeh, the Hermann he also has a discussion about this question, and he goes into a whole interesting lambdas. How do you remove a tattoo? And there may be other ways, but one simple way would be to put another tattoo on top of the old tattoo. So let's say there's a tattoo. The, the, the story which he is dealing with, 
And it's interesting, the same story is in the Minchas Yitzchak. Obviously, the same question was sent to various poskim. was about a fellow who had been in the American army, probably about 60 years ago, and he had made a tattoo on his upper arm of a woman in a on sneers uh, position, a uh, picture. And now his question is, can he put his tefillin on the on the tattoo? And then, uh, of course, the, well, one of the things with the solution would be to remove the tattoo. But to remove the tattoo means a tattoo means you're writing in your skin, writing with permanent way. Okay, so what you're going to do? You're going to write with another ink. So I don't know if it works, but let's say you have a, a tattoo is black ink. Let's say you can make now a, a skin color writing on the same place, and that will obliterate the tattoo. So here comes the whole question: Is are you allowed to make another tattoo to remove the first tattoo? Is that not called making another tattoo? So we had this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. It came up about the yeah. So I was talking about the microblading with the eyebrows. Now those who say that the whole issue of ksoibes karka of tattooing is only if it's writing letters, but if it's just uh, even a picture, certainly just color, would not be a problem. Um, in addition, if you remember what we spoke about microblading, that the tattoo is mutilating. To rectify, to restore, is not included in the issue of a tattoo. And therefore, I feel that um, there's, on the one hand, there's no obligation. I couldn't find anywhere, and as far as I know, that's the common uh, psak. There's no obligation to remove a tattoo. On the other hand, if you do want to, and you want to use, let's say, and this is my own invention, yeah, I'm going to patent, patent it soon, to use skin-colored ink to, to take away a tattoo, I don't see a, a, that to be a problem. Um, as I say, it's not, it's not writing, and also it's a, it's a repair rather than a mutilation, therefore it's okay. Let's go on. Okay, well, so last week I mentioned about Esroigim from Eretz Israel. And someone had asked me about this, and I had told him, better don't get from Israel, get from uh, Italy, whatever. But then this, this week, another Shliach somewhere in Europe is asking me, he says that apparently it's, uh, Israeli Australians are much cheaper. And he wants to be able to give to uh, Yidden or sell them. I don't know if it's cheap, it's going to be obviously being able to reach to more people. Um, right. So... I, um, I stand corrected. Tattoos may be removed with laser, thank you. Um, and therefore, then for sure, there's no problem of, of, of removing it. You're not mechuyev to, I still remain with that. You're not mechuyev to remove it, you're not obliged to. But uh, yeah, that, 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 that could be done with no, no, no question. No, all right, so let's come back to this again. So now here is the question um, Is there any emphasis? Of sending back the Esrogim back to the Israel after Yomt. So I want to, I've heard this before. Let's take a look what's going on here. So this is from the Piskit Shubis, actually, in the Dinam of Esrogimitoflish taking out Esrogim to Chutzlaritz, one or two Yashlohokhil, especially if they'll be brought to Israel afterwards. So now he brings over a few Litvish Aposkim, Orchis Rabbeinu, it says about the Chaznish, etc. Um, who did? Who um, he said that they could take a to Chutz Loritz, but right after Yom Tov, 
they should be eaten. Because there's a time called Zman Habir. There's a time by which there's no estrogen out in the wild. And by then you're not allowed to hold on to, um, to, the, to the, that produce since it's not available in the wild. So he says, so long as you eat the estrogen before they become obsolete in the wild, then that that's, so, solves the problem. He did not require to bring them back to Ezra. Then he brings from a uh, letter, the, the um, Chubas van Hogesvats from, uh, um, no, he brings from Revelva Labriska. Uh, he asked to send him an estrogen to Chutzlaretz. Um, and he says, it's better to bring it back to Ezra. And then he brings from Mishnas Yosef, um, then he brings from Rishlem Bezalman, um, he was Machmi, he did not send uh, Estrig. He had people who you'd send Estrig every year, but Shemitah, he did not send Estrig to Chutzlaret. So, all right, what I'm seeing here is the idea of bringing it back to Ertisrol so that you can put it out in the wild for the animals in Ertisrol does not seem to be a Chiyuv at all. It seems to be a Hidur. Yeah, it's very, on a, on a, certainly on a commercial level, I think that's unreasonable. On the other hand, it seems to be that it would be preferable that the esrug should be uh, eaten before as uh, manhabir, that means shortly after after sukkahs. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I can say. Someone asked, what, and what about if, if they, you're going to give estrogen to people who are not going to eat them? But then on the other hand, you, uh, this is a very important point. To just throw the estrogen into the bin, that would not be allowed until the estrogen has become inedible. So you have to hold on to it until it becomes inedible. Finally, we've got here, um, we're talking about, as, as last week, we're talking about a mica, about it building a, a barrier around a rooftop. So one of our listeners who was also frustrated with the poor reception last week, and Baruch uh, Hashem, I think it's behaving better today. Um, so she mentions to me, she listened to the recording, and um, I had not mentioned about making a brocha on building the mica. So if you are uh, one of those people who uh, um, get your hands dirty and you like doing you know, cement by yourself, you build the mica yourself, yes, you should be able to make a brocha. I don't remember, it's just something to look into, whether you make the brocha when you put the first brick of the tent for him, or when you do the top, Tent for the top of the tent for him. Um, it has to be just before the end, just before you complete it, but before you complete the tenth tefach, and that's when you make the brocha. Um, then about saying a shechiyon. Do you say a shechiyon? So, do you say shechiyon the first time you put on the film? Say shechiyon. So, here's an interesting exchange. You had in Toronto, you had a rob by the name of Rabbi Gedalia Felder. And he had published several sforim, a series of sforim under the name Yisoyde Yeshurun. Now, when the Rebbe came out in Tov Shin Lamed Gimel approximately about the whole Mitzvah Neshek of the children of girls putting on, um, um, lighting a candle, and there was a whole discussion at the time with the contemporary poskim. so there's a correspondence between the Rebbe and Rav Felder. And so now, the top is the Rebbe's letter, and the bottom is, is uh, Rav Felder. So the Rebbe writes, you had mentioned to me about the Shechiyon of the first time round, first time the child lights. So you already mentioned there are various opinions about this. For example, um, 
And he, the Rebbe says, in your own Sefer, volume Aleph, about Marach Tzitzis, first time you put on Tefillin, do you make a Shechiono? A Talus is easier, because a Talus is a Beget. See, the first time, in your Talus, you make a Shechiono. But the first time you put on a, a Tefillin, apparently you wouldn't say Shechiono. Let's say the first time you do a Shechita, the first time you do a Kisi Hadam. So it's not so posh it, whether you make a bracha, because it's not necessarily so time-related. And so the Rebbe writes, uh, in addition to this form which you referred to, also the Sefer Masa Bechalamachnus, Simchov Beis, which is the end of Hirotzitzis, also has a lot of sforim about this, uh, talk about this question. Uh, and although, here's an interesting point, that Samach Tzedek in Piskedinim has got a page about uh, Shechionu, and he says, Sofik Shechionu is not a problem. He talks there about Megillah, saying Shechionu about Megillah reading by day, in addition to having said by night. So the Altareb in Siddha says, you shouldn't say a bracha by day, and the Tzimach says, you should. And he takes this view, he brings this view of the El Yerabe, that Shechionu, if you're happy, so there's not a bracha lavatona. So the Rebbe says, nevertheless, I didn't want to rely on that, to say that a girl, the first time she lights a candle, should say Shechionu, because... The, con- the common meaning is the first time you put on tefillin, you don't make a bracha shechiyonu. And the Rebbe said, I mentioned in passing, and I remember uh, at the t- around being present at the time, not on top of your Gimel is a little bit early for me, but um, I remember the Rebbe speak- speaking about this, it was a few years later, and he said that um, to avoid this question, a little girl, either she starts lighting her candle on Yom Tov, and therefore, she's saying Shechion because of the Yom Tov in any case. Or you buy her a new garment, you buy a new cladle. And therefore, in part of when she starts lighting her candle, she'll also have a new garment. And that will take away the, the Shiloh. Um, right, just I'm just going to finish off that was been before the Shiloh, we had a short discussion about uh, pre-Chodosh for Rosh Hashanah, but just a Dover Poshet. If you don't have a pre-Chodosh, or Baget Chodosh, you still say Shechionu at Kiddush regardless, and at uh, Tkiyas on the second day uh, regardless. The, uh, the Baget Chodosh and the Pri Chodosh is just as an extra. Meanwhile, I wish you a, a good evening, a good Shabbos, a good Chodesh, whatever. Kol Tov. Kol Tov.